that's when I, I started talking to parents about what is self-care. It's more than just the spots. It's also your mindfulness. And that word is thrown out a lot, but it's about being in that moment and, and talking to yourself and allowing to feel anxious. If I have three kids too, and three young kids at some point in the day, sometimes if everybody's been complaining or upset or mad or crying or tantrums, you become overwhelmed. And mm -hmm. it's okay to tell yourself in that moment, I'm overwhelmed right now and I have every right because there's too much going on and it's okay to step back and create some sort of plan or do a little something for yourself. Hi, I'm Sarah Kuhn. Welcome to the Juno Women podcast, where I sit down for candid conversations with women who are experts in their field and share their specific knowledge so that we can become better equipped to handle all things motherhood. Juno Women is an extension of Juna, a fitness and nutrition app created to help guide you through your trying to conceive pregnancy and motherhood journey. Everything we do at Juna is designed to empower and support you through one of the most incredible and challenging times of your life. On today's episode, I'm talking with Cindy Covington, the founder of Curious Neuron, a parenting resource and advice blog that's backed by science. Cindy has her doctorate in neuroscience and postdoctoral training in education, and after having a baby, she realized she wanted to stay home, but continue to learn and grow as a parent. Today, we talk about why we parent the way we do, the importance of nurturing yourself before you can nurture your children, different parenting styles, and how to find the style that works for you and your family. I hope you enjoy. Cindy, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Why don't you start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about you and your experience? Yeah. So I'm uh, the founder of Curious Neuron, uh, which is a parenting resource that's backed by science. And the reason why it's evidence-based is because my background is in science. I have a doctorate degree in neuroscience and postdoctoral training in education. And after finishing my degrees, I um, had a baby and realized I wanted to stay home. So I tried to figure things out and realized I, I needed to leave research if I wanted to be home with my kids for a little longer. And I missed research. I enjoyed studying and, and learning about the brain. I studied schizophrenia and mental health. And I got back into reading articles for fun at nighttime as a hobby. And instead of reading about schizophrenia, I was reading about parenting because it was relevant to me now. Right. And the more I read, the more I realized when I had a question and I would go online, it was hard to find something that was a little more recent. And I appreciated the, the research and the science behind it. But sometimes you have to pick at an article to see what makes sense as a parent and what can you apply to your everyday life. So I started blogging about it, again, just for fun, as a hobby at nighttime. And a few years later, now in, in 2021, is it's become a business. And I've collaborated with over 70 different professionals and researchers and pediatric specialists. And we have different services and, and also free webinars for parents. And my goal is really to take all this information and share it with parents so that they can take what's important and what's relevant to them. And because it's not the same for you and I, it's all children are different and all parents are different. And it's just about knowing what's out there so that you can take what makes sense to you and knowing that it's, it's backed by science. I, you could not say it better because the way I parent my children is my children are so different from each mm. other. And so the things that worked for one do not work for the other. And I think that's <laughs> One of the more humbling parts of parenting, too. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, it has nothing to do with me. No. <laughs> my, kid, my kid is my kid, and that's yeah. kind of it. 
there's that part. And then also discovering yourself. <laughs> I think mm -hmm. as a parent, when you thought you knew yourself and then your child starts having tantrums and then you rediscover yourself and all the anger <laughs> that's oh hidden deep inside. <laughs> God, you, yeah, yes. <laughs> like some ugly moments. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those moments really, I think for me, were defining because that's when you go back all the way back to your past and all the way back to how you were parented and yep. start breaking everything down and realizing you might be okay, but you might also be a little broken. And it's not the right time to, to realize that because you have a toddler. Yes. But that's, I think, if we ignore that and ignore the past and the feelings that we have around it, then we end up being a certain way. We end up yelling more than we want. We, we end up not being mentally well or our well-being is affected and that whole analogy of, of putting the mask on yourself first, it really applies to parenting. And the way that I explain it in, in Pierce Neuron is we have three pillars that, that feed into you thriving as a parent. And the first one is nurturing yourself and then nurturing your child and then nurturing each other. So that sense of community is also very important, but definitely we, we do need to take care of ourselves. Yeah, it's it's, it's it's so timely that you brought that up because I literally just got off the phone with one of my best friends and a month ago I was like I was in a dark place like my mm. I, you know, I have three young kids I just felt this like immense pressure and I my patience was gone like everything was gone and she was like Sarah you need to stop waiting for the like this like big spa day or you know whatever it is she's you yeah. have to take these little moments yes. because that's all you're gonna get when you're in this this phase and yeah. that push for me was me being like okay you know what's really hard for me the evening from four to seven is absolutely Ooh, I, breaking yeah. my soul. Yeah. And so if I get one night off a week, that will be enough. Mm. And you know what? I, I went to my husband and I said, I'm going to take Tuesdays to go to a yoga class or now it's mm. actually turned into Krav Maga. I'm going to go to Krav Maga. You can take Wednesday and do whatever you want. And I like, I don't care if I have all three kids that one night because yeah. I've had off the night before. And mm. that has been so life changing to me. And it took mm. my friend pushing me. And so I, I think Thank to your goodness point, for those friends, yeah, <laughs> the community, and, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's just, it's been like my ability to be more patient and present with my kids is so, is tenfold. And mm -hmm. I think like it's taking care of, you, you don't, if you don't have anything left for your, for if you don't, ha if you're not taking care of yourself, you'll have nothing left to take care of your kids. No, and it's true. And I think that's what the pandemic kind of showed us <laughs> was mm -hmm. that when you're with your kids all the time and you you don't get that time away, that spa, like you said, we kept attributing like self-care to being away, going right. to the restaurant. And and I, I needed that moment too. I would meet my friend at the restaurant and we would, you know, have dinner. And not having that at one point, I was like, okay, I can't breathe. I just cannot, <laughs> I yeah. need to breathe. And yeah. I, there was nowhere to go here in Montreal, Canada. We had a curfew for so long. We couldn't even leave our house by 8 p.m. Yeah. Couldn't even go for a walk. So that's when I, I started talking to parents about what is self-care. It's more than just the spots. It's also your mindfulness. And that word is thrown out a lot, but it's about being in that moment and, and talking to yourself and allowing to feel anxious if I have three kids too and three young kids at some point in the day sometimes if everybody's been complaining or upset or mad or crying or tantrums you become overwhelmed and mm -hmm. it's okay to tell yourself in that moment I'm overwhelmed right now and I have every right because there's 
too much going on. And it's okay to step back and create some sort of plan or do a little something for yourself. I had, I would post at some point my breakfast and it, it was fruit. There, just the fact that I had cut a fruit for myself <laughs> was, I was telling myself early in the morning, this fruit is for you because I know my kids will eat it. <laughs> but me saying no to them eating it was for me. That was my boundary. And when I yeah. learned to do that, at first there was guilt, right? Like, how can I, they have their own fruit, but there's still the guilt of like, they want mine, my banana or my apple, I should just give it to them. But I knew that they had their own and it's, I know that whatever's in front of them, they'll end up eating it. Or if they smell food, they're going to come and eat it. Right. But saying no and saying, this is mommy's fruit. And I took the time to cut it because I'm hungry. And instead of eating everybody's leftover toast, I'm going to yeah. have a good breakfast to start my day off properly. That made a big difference for my day. Not being able to leave, it, it made the day a little bit easier. It doesn't mean that you won't yell and it doesn't mean that you won't have moments where you just want to walk out. But just little tiny, I call them little boosts of dopamine in your brain mm -hmm. where you feel that happiness or that joy. And you're just telling yourself in your mind, this is for me because I'm important too. It makes a difference. Totally. Mm -hmm. We could go on a totally different yeah. tangent, but I'm going to bring us back because I want to <laughs> talk about like the neuroscience of kids and their brains and babies and their brains. So can you talk a little bit about babies and kids and their brain development and how basically the evolution of it in the first few years. Regarding brain development, I think the most important thing I like to talk about are the first thousand days. And there's so much research around this. And that's basically from the moment of conception to the child's second birthday. The reason why those first thousand days are important is because that's where you'll see the most growth in the brain and the most development. And growth in the brain is two things. For an infant, it's creating new cells, new neurons from experience in your environment, and also pruning away. So like a garden or <laughs> your roses, you will prune away what is not needed. The brain does the exact same thing. And although that might sound scary, it's, it's actually needed. You don't want to have too many neurons, like you, you have a lot, but the brain will decide, okay, this child or this infant has been exposed to XYZ in their environment, and we don't really need too many of these neurons. We're going to get rid of some so that the rest of the brain is being used to its fullest capacity versus if you have too many neurons, then the brain doesn't know where to divide its energy or its power. So you have to prune, you create and you prune. But this is a very delicate balance. And it's not to add stress to, to parents who are listening and saying, hold on, how do I, how do I know when the brain is pruning properly? It's an overall thing. So it's the environment. And as we create an environment with a newborn that is supporting their development, um, then the right balance will happen naturally. What do you mean by environment? So the environment, an environment for a child that is stimulating is the serve and return, for example. So when our baby looks at us and we look back and we talk to them, or when they coo and you respond to them, that's their way of communicating with you. Every single interaction that's like that will stimulate the brain and say, oh, okay, this is how we communicate. This is what social socialization is. And when they cry and we respond to them, that's building attachment when we're nurturing them. And that attachment or that emotional bond that they're creating between you between you and, and themselves, the, this, the caregivers, the first, the primary or secondary caregivers, that attachment is developing the emotional part of the brain. So every little thing in the environment and in Environment doesn't mean having the best toys. There's so much more to that. There's going outside. There's um, a, a baby's senses are developing first. So they're listening to language and they're soaking it all in. 
However, what they're developing is their touch and their sense of awareness of the environment. They're developing their eyesight. That's why going outside is good as well, because it helps develop their eyesight. And they're learning how to track things. So when a bird flies or you're walking by them, their their eyes are look are developing that ability to follow you. Um, so that's one of the developmental milestones when they're young. So there's a lot going on in their little yeah. brain. I have a question about that. And this is only – I'm only asking because it's something that's been brought to my attention in my – like in my – with my own child. And it's like the middle – basically like having difficulty tracking past the midline. Mm -hmm. And so like basically following my finger without moving my head from left to right. Mm -hmm. Like my son has trouble continuing to track. As soon as it hits center, he can't continue. And I'm curious if that's – as you you mentioned tracking that if that's something that starts happening super early on and whether something got disrupted early on to make that an inefficient process for him yeah that's a good question so yes the tracking is and and passing the midline that is exactly what's developing at such an early age however i'm not sure how or what aspect of let's say watching things move the midline that's not mm-hmm. like that would be more of like a doctor that would understand I, i'm not sure about the, the answer to that but yes that those are from the first thousand days Got it. Okay. Yeah, that's when it develops. And I'm I'm wondering though, I've had some discussions with physiotherapists about crawling and midline. Yeah. I, I, I'm wondering if that stage as well has a contribution to it, but I'm not sure. We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the premier app for every stage of motherhood with a 12-week trying-to-conceive plan and workouts, key nutrition information for every week of pregnancy and postpartum, plus six full video courses on birth prep, breastfeeding, newborn care, infant sleep, sleep from four to 12 months, and starting solids. The app is designed to be your number one companion from trying to conceive through your baby's first year of life. It also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises, pelvic floor prep, daily tips and notes from me that are relevant to the exact things you are experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears and preventing the dreaded gestational Google mania, that sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. Juna is available for both iOS and Android. Just search Juna in the app store or go to Juna.co. Again, that's Juna.co. The app is completely free to try for seven days, and if you decide it's not right for you, you can cancel any time within the first week. No questions asked. Download Juna today and get started. Now, back to the show. It definitely, it definitely does. It's interesting because some of the therapy that that will be integrated is is crawl therapy, and it's funny because did, my there you go, yeah. my son crawled for seven months. He like was not a. It wasn't like a. He skipped crawling. No, like okay. He, <laughs> and it's so inter- But it's interesting because that that helps develop the right left 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 brain like mm-hmm. connection mm-hmm. and all the, all that stuff. But it is yeah. one of like the first questions that I was asked was, did he skip crawling? Like, yeah. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm wondering what specifically contributes to that, but I know that yeah. a lot. And yes, it's all in the early stages. When we, again, I I know that especially with new parents, and I think back to when I was a new parent, even knowing what I know, and you just you worry about everything, and then you get input and and solicited advice from family members and and friends and strangers at the mall. But it's really hard to I I to navigate all this information, but the best thing that we can do for a baby is really create the sort of environment that is nurturing, calm, and stimulating is not 
about just putting them or speaking to them every single moment, but it's just being there and, and talking to them when you can during a diaper change or while you're cooking. I would pretend that I was in a baking <laughs> show and, and talk to my three kids when they were small and say, where's the tomato? There it is. And just grab it and just to have some sort of dialogue with them. But tummy time as well is very important for development and um yeah, there's a lot that we can do to interact with them. And I know sometimes it feels that when they're young, that there's not much to do. But like I said, just speaking with, to them and, and being with them and responding to them, because that attachment is really important at the beginning as well. That's when they're testing. If I cry, who's there for me? <laughs> who's going to respond to me? And then when they're when they see that we're responding to that, they're developing that strong attachment to us. And there's this huge misconception. And even within, I heard it within my family too. And my grandmother would say, you're holding your baby way too much. They need to be independent. And when they cry, it's okay. Let them, it's fine. And again, not going to the other extreme. It doesn't mean that when, if you have to pee, for, <laughs> for example, mm -hmm. it's okay. If you need a moment to yourself because you have two babies at home or a toddler and a baby, I get it. I was there. There's a moment where you might say, I'm just going to go to the bathroom and <laughs> stay there an extra two minutes or three minutes because <laughs> I need to or else I'm, I'm going to scream or whatever right. it is. Take those moments. It's not those tiny moments that are going to make a difference. But overall, the big picture of it, when your baby is crying, it's not they're not going to be more independent if you let them cry. When you respond to them, they're going to feel nurtured. They're going to feel safe. And the best book that I've read about attachment theory that makes it understandable for all of us is The Power of Showing Up by Daniel Siegel and um, Tina Payne Bryson. Mm -hmm. um, and that book just really beautifully illustrates. They have the four S's, I believe. Yeah, a baby or a child has to feel seen soothe safe and when they do feel those three then there's they feel they, they develop a secure brain and that's what you want in your child did they write that book before the whole brain child that's after? a good question i think after i think it came okay. out after got it there might be um, a part of it in the whole brain child okay i've talked about it i think on the podcast before but mm. the when i read the whole brain child that like single-handedly was one of the best mm. books <laughs> Yeah. Or how I approached my son, and it's interesting. And going back to each kid is different. Like the, mm -hmm. the tools that I that like work for him that I learned from that book, like just don't work for my daughter at all. Oh, interesting! <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's so interesting. Like I'm, I'm like, it's it's so interesting how the things that work for my son, like my daughter, could care less about. <laughs> just, like, I think it's important that we say these things because as parents, you might see something and then apply it and it doesn't work and then you feel like there's nothing else out there or yeah. I screwed something up or I did something wrong as a parent and then you talk to your neighbor and they're like yeah I, I did sleep training and it worked super well how come why aren't you sleeping or like there right. could be these conversations happening you really need to take what try test it every brain is different so every child is different and test something out consistently and for a little while so not once or twice but keep trying it. And if you see there's no difference, then it's possible that just didn't work for your child. And that's advice that you're going to carry on until they're like in high school and, and older, because you, somebody might say, this is how you memorize something. And I think back to when I was in school, I couldn't memorize for the life of me, I would read something over and over again. And nobody said, you know, maybe try you. listening to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nobody told me that until I was in university, and literally started recording myself and writing notes, I realized I was more visual and also mm -hmm. had to, I had to do a double kind of way of learning. And until I took that time to do that, record the lectures, listen to them again without writing notes because I was like rushing through the courses. But mm -hmm. that's when I started learning better. So 
just remember, nobody wants to do things wrong. No child, there, there isn't a child that wants to make mistakes or screw up. Or you know, when you say try your hardest, like whether they're a toddler and you're like, you shouldn't be screaming and crying for the blue cup. It doesn't matter. It's a cup, whether it's red or it's blue, there's water inside and it'll taste the same. But we don't see in their brain and in their <laughs> brain, it matters. <laughs> oh, so <yeah. laughs> we have to, they're not doing it to cause the anger we're feeling at that moment inside of us and the same thing applies when they're older like we have to be it goes back to attachment too we need to be attuned to our children so if we really take the time to be in their brain or i i call it be like the detective like the brain detective or tantrum detective then we get to know them a little bit more and and start understanding where it's coming from yeah definitely total <laughs> it's so funny that you i i think about how attuned you have to be to your children to be able to diffuse isn't the right word but attend to the tantrums if you will yeah because <laughs> sometimes again, diffuse yeah yeah, diffuse, yeah yeah i hate to i don't want i diffuse feels like i'm saying i don't want you to feel what you're feeling yeah that's okay true. i, I don't want saying. them feeling i want them to keep it and not yeah. bother me with it <laughs> especially between four and seven <laughs> exactly <laughs> Exactly. Okay. I want to talk about the different types of parenting styles. Mm -hmm. So if you could define those and give us – yeah. Cool. So we hear a lot about positive parenting and, and conscious parenting and I don't know what else there is. But those are terms that are being used in society, but they're not really the research terms. So I, I just want to make it clear that I'm, I'm not using those terms. However, when you look at what's similar to the science, the conscious parenting and positive parenting – is related to something called authoritative parenting. So basically, all the different types of parenting, what they look at is the level of boundaries that a parent has, rules, and the level of connection that they have with their child. So they there's a type of parenting where there is lots of connection. Um, sorry, there's a type of parenting where there is no connection and lots of rules. And that probably is the way most of us were parented. I, I was born in the 80s and it was just like, I'm the parent, I'm not your friend, do as I say, you have no say. So that's called authoritarian parenting, mm -hmm. where it's all rules and no connection. Then there's authoritative parenting, which falls back to that conscious parenting or positive parenting. And that's when you have both. You have lots of rules, but also lots of connection. And what that connection looks like is back to, you know, attachment and, and there's a sensitivity aspect to it. So it's not, I think the misconception around these terms or this type of parenting is that we let our child do whatever they want. Right. And it's not that. And maybe it's because of the terms that came up with it, positive parenting or conscious parenting. I'm not sure how it came up, but it's not about that. It's really about balancing having boundaries in the home. They, children need rules. Mm -hmm. They need to know what's right and wrong. And again, it goes back to attachment where they feel safe. If I don't give a rule to my child and they could run in the street or do whatever they want and climb the banister and jump off of it or whatever it is, they at some point will realize that they're not safe with us. So we have to keep, I know boundaries are hard sometimes, especially the ones that have nothing to do with safety, but it's like they want another piece of cake before bed or a cookie or whatever <laughs> it is. It's easy to give in. And it's not that we can't, again, parenting is like an 80-20 thing, right? So we try not to yell, but it's not going to happen every single time. Mm -hmm. So the same thing with boundaries. Most of the time you want to maintain boundaries. It's not to say if it's their birthday and they can have a treat or whatever. But most of the time, maintaining those boundaries sometimes could be hard because 
we some I think back to the way I was raised as well, where it's if you I show you that I love you, not by telling you, but by giving you things that I was raised by a single mom and my grandparents had a big role. So that was my mom was authoritarian and was raised that way herself. And all, all that kind of it makes it harder sometimes as a parent as well. But just to say we really need those boundaries. And when a child is crying or having a tantrum, if we're yelling at them and we're not, like you said, taking the time to connect with them and to understand where it's coming from. And I know that it might seem ridiculous because all if they're having five tantrums a day and you're like, okay, this is tantrum number five and I'm going to try to connect with you. And <laughs> it's, it, it might feel hard at that moment and I get it. Um, but if you could just crouch down to their level, already being eye to eye, you're connecting with them. And you could say, I know that you really wanted that cookie right now, but it's seven o'clock and we're going to bed now maybe tomorrow or you could even say create a plan they like they that helps sometimes saying you want to set this cookie and we'll put it on a plate and it'll be ready for your dessert tomorrow or you know tomorrow for your snack and slowly they'll start seeing okay my parents kept that boundary but they came down to my level and and felt there was empathy they they felt my emotions that makes a huge difference and that's the kind of parenting that leads to being in children higher academic performance just only positive. It leads to stronger social emotional skills because they're learning how to navigate their emotions a lot better. They're learning about rules and they're learning how to interact with you. So there's a lot of learning to be done when you follow that parenting style. Got it. What are some like downsides of authoritarian parenting? Yeah. So I was just looking at that research this week because I'm talking about fathers and one of the common emails that I receive are from moms. And it's not to say that um, there aren't any moms that are more authoritarian, but on average, the email I receive asks, it's a mom saying they're trying to follow the more conscious parenting or positive parenting style, but their partners are not into it. They're more strict and about the rules and not having any of that connection with their child. So I went into the research this week and wanted to see what is the outcome. If both parents, so according to the research, if both parents are authoritarian and there's no connection with the child, it leads to a higher chance. So again, with research, it's not about 100%, right? There's just more connection or relationship. So there's a, a higher chance of a child having social emotional problems. And what does that look like? That looks like behavioral issues, whether it's internalizing behavioral issues or externalizing it where you they're acting out internalizing your behavior at some point when you're a little bit older, elementary school, for example, there might be anxiety, there might be depression. So it does lead to pretty negative consequences. However, what I was interested or what I found pretty interesting in the research that I found this week was that when one parent is authoritarian and the other parent is authoritative, so that good balance between the, the mm -hmm. connection and the boundaries, then it overrides it. It balances it out in the environment. Although there are negative consequences to having two authoritarian parents, when there's a balance of one and the other, it canceled out. And in addition, one another study I found showed that some children who they were testing teens and they were questioning teens and they would see what kind of parenting style they were raised in. And even if a teenager rated the parenting style in the home as authoritarian, so no connection, having boundaries, if they had a strong parent relationship, so that means you can still have a strong 
parent relationship, even if you are very strict and not taking the time to connect with your child. So if a, if a parent is listening to this and saying, oh, wait, there's hope. It's the relationship and the way that this study um, assessed the parent-child relationship is they asked the teen four questions. They said, they asked, is your mom and dad a person you would like to be like? Uh, you would want to be like? Do you really enjoy spending time with your mom or your dad? How often does your mom or dad praise you for doing well? And how often does your mom or dad help you do things that are important to you? And when I was looking at these questions, it really struck me because sometimes during our busy days, there it might happen that we have young children that ask us to do something that's important to them, play. And mm -hmm. we might easily brush it off. Now, again, that 80-20 rule, it doesn't mean that just because we did it once that there are negative consequences. But overall, a child will remember those little moments. And if we feel that our home environment right now with our kids is more authoritarian, but we do take the time to connect in, in certain ways and build a relationship with them, then again, it's negated that the environment is good for them and they still will do well. This episode is sponsored by Element. Element is a really tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything that you need and nothing you don't. Guys, electrolytes are so important when you're pregnant and with everything going on in your body, it's so easy for electrolyte deficiencies to occur. It's perfect for those who are nauseous in the first trimester and for those who are losing lots of sodium through sweating in their third trimester. It's also perfect for the nursing mama who's losing electrolytes through her breast milk. Element contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. With none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. I'm one of those people who sweats an obscene amount. Element has been getting me through all my postpartum workouts. I absolutely love this stuff and I can't recommend it enough. They have a variety of flavors. Raspberry ice is my favorite, but citrus brings me back to my athletic days of drinking sports drink, except Element has no added junk. I typically make a 32 ounce drink and then I drink half and then I fill it up again. And then I do this like 12 more times throughout the day so that I can make that flavor last as long as possible. You can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, share it with a salty friend and they'll give you your money back, no questions asked. As a member of our community, Element has a very special offer for you. You can get an Element sample pack for only covering the cost of shipping. Get yours here. DrinkLMNT.com backslash Juna. Once again, that's www.drink, the letter L, the letter M, the letter N, the letter T.com backslash Juna. That's a good to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially for people that, that – that's a hard thing. I can't imagine being on a really different page of parenting mm -hmm. with my partner. Like that mm -hmm. feels like a really stressful yeah. situation. And so like at least it's good to know that it balances out. Yeah. And I, I – and that's why I was really happy to find these studies because at least, like you said, there's that peace of mind of, okay, yes – bad cop I don't know if you guys say I that was gonna either. say is that good yeah. cop bad cop yeah exactly. <laughs> it works at least the kids know there's there are lots of rules here and they might have a bit less of a connection with one parent but if overall there's that loving and and um loving really like family home and and you're taking time to, to do things with them and showing them that you care when they have to speak to you, not just speak to you, but want to do something with you, that's going to make a big difference for them. And when I talk about rules and boundaries, we could get into discipline, but 
it doesn't mean hitting or any like aggression towards a child. That is a completely different conversation. Yes, but I just yes. want to clarify that having a boundary doesn't mean like hitting or slapping our child. It, it really means just being firm on what's right and wrong in our home and keeping and and in in and outside of the home. But that's what I mean when I say boundaries. Now I'm curious. This is like a <laughs> totally aside conversation, but I in in talking about parenting and this is getting into like much older kids but like I my husband and I last night at on our date night we were talking I was like would you keep if I'm like if Luca asked you to keep a secret from me mm. would you keep that secret from me so and this, and this is like a really curious question mm. because like think about the amount of times that I had told my mom something in confidence being and, mm. and like specifically was like don't tell dad yeah and I always wonder especially now as a mom, if she did tell my dad and that he just did a really good job of that they just kept it between them. Yeah. And after we probably had a 30 minute discussion and played out scenarios. And I think ultimately, like we started, like my husband started with saying, I think I would say to, let's say our son, Luca, I would say, Luca, I don't keep secrets from mom, Mm -hmm. but I'll let you tell her. And by the end of the conversation, where I landed was I don't I wouldn't want our children to not come to either one of us because we both took the position that like we don't keep secrets from each yeah. other. Yeah. Like at, at any point I would still want like my daughter to come to me with something mm-hmm. and know that she could come to me with it knowing that it wasn't like that she wasn't going to upset you or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, but you know what? I think I want to ask like a professional this because this is this is really something that I'm I don't know the answer to. So I'm curious what your perspective is. <laughs> First of all, I'm, I love that you had this conversation. My husband and I, we had that conversation, I, I would say about a year ago. No, before the pandemic. And that's how we tell time now, right? It's before exactly, or after yeah. the pandemic. Exactly. <laughs> PP um, or BP. <laughs> exactly. And I, I, we had a very similar conversation because – I thought as well that we had to show that we don't keep secrets. The Sometimes I tell parents, like I, I put on either the mom hat or the neuroscientist hat. And I, just to clarify also as a neuroscientist, I'm not a psychologist. And I think part of your question would perhaps be answered yes. more by a psychologist. Mm-hmm. But as so I've read the research in terms of like secrets has to do with a lot of like body consent and safety. Like we don't hold secrets in the house so that you don't want to teach a young child that if ever a stranger tells them to hold a secret that you know that they won't do that however with older children i think this situation is different and i'd actually love to i don't know if there's a good answer to this but we came to the same conclusions as you guys because we wouldn't want them to feel that it's not a safe space in terms of keeping a secret like between mommy and daddy like we first we're in the same boat as you in the sense that we don't hold secrets in our house because that's what we told our kids. But then if they're older and there's something that's really more serious and they feel more comfortable because we, with our three kids, two of them feel more comfortable with one of us and the other one feels comfortable with the other one. So perhaps naturally they would go to that person, either myself or my husband to tell us something. And we don't want to break that bond. So we came we came up with the same conclusion as you guys, that if somebody came, we would probably hold on to it or just we wouldn't want to break that that trust from them. Yeah. But I don't have the, the answer from research. That's a good question. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna 
table that one and ask a lot of different people and stay tuned people we'll get (laughs) that would be a good poll question yeah I think so too it's it's just yeah you just you don't want to I think that I will always want my child to turn to us and Mm -hmm. if they can't turn to both of us then one of us is still great right (laughs) exactly yeah as hard as that is, that's what you want. You want it to be you, obviously, but then <laughs> you just want them to be able to know that they can come to you guys and anybody in your home. And that's really important. Yeah, mm. definitely. Is there – so now, okay, getting back to our – just that was a good segue. But yeah. I'm curious, is there – is like for authoritative parenting, is there like a personality type that works best for or I guess how does that play out with different with personalities? Kids? Uh, for your kids, yeah. You mean as the parent or as the ch- for the child? Both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. That's a good question. I never looked at it in terms of the parenting style and personality. I- I'd love – actually, I'm writing it down because I'm going to look it up. However, I know that it looks different depending on your child's age. And part of what you're doing when you're following this style, again, being attuned to your child, but there's something called scaffolding. And that has to do with – okay, so – for example, let's try to take up something common where you'd hold a boundary. Oh, hitting. Let's say a child mm-hmm. hits another child or, or takes a toy away, something like that. So if you're following the authoritative parenting style, then you set your boundary. In this house, we don't. you don't hit, I don't hit. And you would remove the child from the situation to keep the other child safe. But I wouldn't just grab them and lift them because I'm sensitive to their feelings and emotions so Mm -hmm. i would say i'm going to take you and place you on the stairs or the couch away from your brother or your sister to keep them to keep both of you safe so in just in the language you're showing that you're keeping both safe now regardless i think of the child's like personality traits or even their temperament when you're sticking to that kind of style where you're showing them I still care about you, but right now I'm upset because you did something that is wrong. Then overall, it doesn't, not that it doesn't matter, but I don't know if you know what I mean. Like, it's just the way of speaking to them. So if you, and if I think about my three children who are very different, we say one's earth, uh, one's (laughs) one's water, one's fire, one's like (sighs) the wind. And (laughs) because that's how their personalities are. And it's, I won't change how I parent I might change the words I use. Like one child is a bit more sensitive. So it might take more time when we're trying to maintain that boundary because he might be a bit more upset much longer. But I won't change how I, the style itself, just the language. But the foundation of it is always that warmth and or connection and boundary. And Mm -hmm. then you're just, yes, you're applying it differently to your children with the language that you're using but it's always around those two things got it it's yeah. it's interesting so my son when he would when he was in a tantrum the thing that always disarmed him was like naming his feelings that was mm. and which was obviously something i learned from the whole brain child it was mm-hmm. nice yeah, I can see. I would be really frustrated too if i couldn't get that yeah. out of the fridge and like and then he'd be like, "Yes." I yeah. am frustrated. Like it, it was like, and then that was it. It was like, oh, okay, I feel seen. Yes, Whereas exactly. Yeah. <laughs> with my daughter, <laughs> when I say that, she's I like, see she it doesn't in my head. care. She does not care at all that that her like that I'm seeing her feelings and naming her feelings. And I'm like, okay, so now what do I do? Because yeah. That- what, I'm curious. What did some, has something worked so far? Or nope. no? I haven't figured that one out yet. <laughs> yeah. How old is she? If you don't mind me. Asking. She no. She'll be three in July. 
Oh yeah, that's okay. So that's also a difficult period. <laughs> but you if so there are different ways of feeling seen. Sometimes it's just being with them that you're connecting with them and you're saying like I'm not leaving your side, but let me know when you're done. Let mm -hmm. those emotions out if you have to. But around that age as well, you might they might not want to hear you say that they're frustrated, but you could find a way to have them learn to let it go. Calming corners, they helped in our house for a bit where you create a space in your house that's not a timeout corner. It's when I feel my emotions. I, I have a picture of a mountain. So I have something called Meltdown Mountain on my website. And basically when my, ch my children would feel that they're climbing up the mountain, they would go to the calming corner. And then there, there was a toolkit, which is just a picture of different things you could do when you feel that your emotions are climbing up the mountain to the red zone. And... So that language around them, that connection is going with them and saying, come, I'm going to come with you too. I'm feeling my emotions. I'm going up the mountain as well. So you might not want to say them, but just tell them this when you're feeling that emotion, if she's able to identify it, to bring them to that space and say, let's try to find a way, whether it's tracing something with your finger, squishing a ball, not a ball, a balloon that has Play-Doh inside, something sensory, because mm -hmm. the, the sensory part of our brain is connected to our emotions and then the emotions is connected to the frontal lobe so all this means that it could be a sensory overload that causes a tantrum because the emo that sensory part is connected to the emotions and then when a child has a tantrum the amygdala which is the part of the brain for the emotions is activated right so i'm feeling frustrated or disappointed or mad or sad and then the amygdala will talk to the frontal lobe behind her forehead and say all right i'm mad what do i do with this and the frontal lobe which develops until our mid-20s um so at two years old it's not very well developed so all those emotions go to the frontal lobe and the frontal lobe says i have no clue <laughs> so nothing happens versus if an adult is mad and the amygdala says i'm mad and it sends it to the frontal lobe will say don't smash anything take a breath walk away <laughs> so a child's brain doesn't have the skills to do that yet so we have to be their frontal lobe and wait i lost why i was talking about that oh yeah so then if you can, if it, your way of connecting is maybe not identifying them, but just they'll know what it is and just helping them release or understand those emotions on their own and you're close to them, that's connecting too. So there are different ways that we can connect with our kids. Like I said too, with my kids, with one of them, I had to let him have his emotions and I would just stay at his level. So if he was on the floor or sitting or standing, I would join him wherever he was. I would join him at his height and stay with him until the emotion was gone. And then we chat about it later on. Not during. Oh, that doesn't help. Right. <laughs> Never yet. During an emotion, it's, if we were mad, I'm thinking the moments, let's say, if I'm upset, if my husband or somebody else says, just calm down. Right. <laughs> it's worse. Oh my God, imagine. It's the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> so it's, I think sometimes for some kids, it's the same thing where they're feeling frustrated and while they're feeling frustrated you're frustrated right now it's, yes let me be i'm good mm -hmm. and so we have to create that safe space and become their frontal lobe to, to guide them yeah no that's really good advice <laughs> i think that those are you've done a tremendous job of answering my questions <laughs> why thank is, you <laughs> is there anything else that you want to leave our listeners with mm. <laughs> let me think i don't know i, I think we have to trust ourselves when it comes to all of this. There's lots of advice out there. We'll read it all and we'll spend lots of time reading everything. But at some point, we need to trust ourselves. And in order for you to trust yourself, it goes back to what I said the three pillars are for me in terms of parenting. The first one is to nurture yourself. 
So when we talk about attachment and nurturing, you need to do that with yourself first. And if you were raised in a house where there was no attachment and no connect, you know, no connection and just rules, then there might be a chance that we have to work through this. And whether it's, you can do it on your own, you could do it by journaling, you can do it by talking to a therapist. I've done a mix of everything and I've had periods in my life where I'm more anxious. I've had periods of my life where I'm rocking it and I'm like, all right, I could do this. I have three kids and I I could do this. It's an ebb and flow. It's not a perfect um, situation. It's not a like work-life balance. What is that really? It's not, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's the same thing for parenting. You will not be perfect your child will not be perfect, but you will learn together. So trust your your gut and trust your child. They will guide you. The more we take the time to be with them and get to know them and be attuned to them, if we really do that, then we could figure out, okay, this tantrum was caused because they didn't have the language. They're not sharing because they have no idea how to ask. So let me give them that tool. Let me give them that skill. So it's really a balance between trusting ourselves and working on ourselves as parents and our kids. Definitely. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Why don't you tell people where they can find you? Yes. And we have a website, CuriousNeuron.com. We also have a podcast, the Curious Neuron Podcast. We are on Instagram, Curious underscore Neuron. And anybody could send me an email through the website or a DM. I I love answering questions and, and trying my best to help parents. We have a a 140-page workbook on our website if you click on services. And it goes through journaling and questioning how you were parented and what your goals are as a parent and how you can break that down and create those goals and work on certain things like mindset and your child-parent relationship. We have a questionnaire that we pulled out of research that assesses that relationship. And then we have programs and we have Meltdown Mountain as well. So there's lots of different ways that we can help you out. All (laughs) evidence-based. Yes, yes, love it. Thank you so much, Cindy. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Okay, that's all for today. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a mama friend and leave us a review. If you're pregnant, postpartum, or trying to conceive, you can download the Juna app completely free for seven days. The app is available for iOS and Android and is designed to be your guide for all things health and fitness for this very special time of your life. If you have any suggestions for episodes you would like to hear or anyone you think would be a great guest on the show, please email me directly at sarah at juna.co. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week.